Greetings to everyone, and welcome to episode 5 of the Godspeak podcast. I'm the Archon, and I'll be continuing my discussions today with my co-host, the Greek, about mainstream religions in order to scrutinize their histories and their content. Godspeak.com has no political, religious, or corporate affiliations and is completely managed by myself. For those who choose, you can offer donations to the project on my other website, greekspeak.com, and that is most appreciated. So, I hope you enjoy our upcoming conversation, and thanks again for listening. Hello, Greek. Greetings. We're here again. Indeed, we are. So, I think a good continuation of the last episode on Judaism would be to talk about how that culture provided the inspiration for Christianity to develop, which is arguably the most formidable political and ideological system of the last 2,000 years. Um, I think it's persisted as if by divine ordinance, and we probably won't get through even half of the material that we could cover on the topic, but we'll do what we can. So I want to start by piggybacking off one of the points made on the last episode, which is that Christianity was this bizarre outgrowth of events taking place in the first century AD, connected initially to the Judeans, later to the Roman state, Um, And so starting with the Judeans, they killed their Messiah slash God, but it's probably not the first time something like that has happened. So I want to start by asking, why did it become such a big deal when the Judeans did it to the point where an entire empire had to shift its course based on that development? Well, it was an administrative decision, uh, speaking on the culture within the Roman conquest, which was the Judean culture within the Roman conquest of Judea. Uh, it is, there are many ironies which are cosmically linked, you know, how their Messiah came at their lowest point where they still occupied the territory and many other things, um, you know, the dilution of their culture. <clears throat> but when I say administrative, um, the religious authorities, just like today, for example, if you go to a doctor or a or, or whatever, um, a lawyer or whatever, that's part of the uh, of a theocracy. I think we've explained that previously in other sonic events. Um, uh, mankind is always ruled by a theocracy, whether you believe it or not or know it or not. That's a, a failing of most people on social criticism. The uh, Judean culture that remained and the quote-unquote culture in Israel although it was occupied and suzerain to the Roman uh, culture or or authorities, uh, still functioned uh, administratively, you know, um, although they were suzerain under subjection, they still had certain quote-unquote liberties. And one of the liberties is to record history, record events, and and of course, um, you know, administered uh, events. When they had realized, which they had known, uh, if it's in, in, let's say, what they call the uh, New Testament, which, by the way, I want—I think I've criticized the New Testament also and how it should be read, but we're going to be referencing that a lot if we're speaking about Christianity. Not so much, believe it or not, but enough that I just want to let people know that uh, it is it was not considered uh, scripture at the time, right? But, okay, with that said— the administration had noticed what they had done and wanted to cover it up. Oh, gosh, a cover-up? I thought that was just JFK, 9-11, and all this other stuff that you see in modern society in the Western world that you hear about. No, the cover-up uh, and the false, fl- the false, um, what would you say, uh, identification and all that uh, had started back then. And that's very clear in the books of Mark, 
uh, and Luke, when the uh, head priests say we must cover this up, essentially, I'm paraphrasing, and get rid of those that knew him, right, or he affected. Uh, so their their thing was, you know, if if this happens, you know, uh, then we'll say, well, we can't say that nothing happened because there were, you know, there was so much commotion and disturbance. We have to change uh, what happened and why it happened and the outcome and who the character was. Right. Uh, an example I like giving in the Western world is 9-11. I uh, spoke to uh, someone's, uh, someone who works in an auto parts store, brothers in the FBI, and I said, listen, your brother's in the FBI. You got to go arrest those terrorists that flew the airplanes into the World Trade Center on 9-11 because they were on Egyptian TV the other day. You know, and he kind of stood back and was like, oh, well, you know, yeah. You know, a reasonable person will say, well, wait a second. If they were suicide pilots and they actually did fly into the buildings, then how could they be on Egyptian TV? You see what I mean? It's so ridiculous, right? And it's true. Why isn't the FBI arresting the suicide pilots that, Flew the build up airplanes into 9/11 could because they're on we know where they are they're in they're in Cairo on television the other night. I mean this is how ridiculous from the beginning all the way through to that statement which is true it's a true statement uh, is with Christianity and its and its outcome and all that. But the notion of deicide was probably something that had been ongoing in other cultures, but the Judeans sure. seemed to have a particular after effect of what they did that gained a lot of momentum, politically and otherwise. Sure, but the, the, the deicide, resurrection, uh, the Godhead figure, Son of God, and all that, you'll see in almost every culture, because uh, every culture is almost of the same manufacture. So, for example, let's say uh, I made a statement like, Mercedes-Benz has weak water pumps on their engines. Well, that would be for all their models, wouldn't it? I didn't say one particular model. Because they all come from the all the Mercedes come from a similar manufacturer, so societies are manufactured, they're made. It's called social engineering, right? It's always been this way from day one. So that's in other words, talking about the deicide is talking about one of the select empirical points of engineering a society. It's definitely food for thought. I mean, we know that there have been. Um, sort of the, the lore of the Christ figure and all these different cultures of a, a God that dies and resurrects and things of that nature. And a lot of people, particularly in the mid-2000s, late 2000s, sort of latched onto that to say, well, see, Christianity is fake. It's all These stories exist everywhere. It's, it's a religious fiction, just like all the religions are fiction. Uh, fiction meaning something that you... Uh, beyond the story, it's very difficult to find anything to back it up. We're not talking about the text that they allege to subscribe to. That's a very, that's a different notion. Those are historical and law documents, let's say, right? Those are uh, we're not talking about the records that religions attest to uh, following, because they don't do anything or know anything in them. And don't be fooled by academics, um, or you know whatever religious figures, let's say clergy figures, reading off verses. You know, you can do that out of a chocolate chip cookie recipe and have a, one of the cookies look like the shape of the Virgin Mary. And within a week, you'll have 100 followers asking you how that cookie crumbled, right? Because when you're talking about humans, you're talking about low-functioning beings. 
that's a new, uh, you know, they're low functioning, right? They're not high functioning. Kind of like chickens, you know, they're birds, but they don't fly, right? So. <laughs> low functioning birds, anyway. Um, but, okay, so what was known in the ancient world concerning the death of this important god figure, you know, taking place around that time? Because I do believe that it was widely reported based on the meteorolo meteorological signs, the natural disasters that took place around the, the time of his death, at least in the Middle East. So it kind of went beyond just the lore that a lot of cultures have of these things happening. There were actual events. Sure. And there was also a four-year ministry. You know, if you do biblical counting, it was four years or more. Uh, and the reason it was such is uh, a simple, concise message takes about four years to get around in a world that is uh, trodden by foot and sail, right? So if you're on land, you're on foot. And if you're on water, you're on, you use sail. So that's roughly the amount of time that it took back then to move uh, ideas around. If it were to happen, if the Christ figure were to happen today, it would be 20 minutes in relative time. But there was also this uh, sense that certain people had an understanding that, oh, a god has died. I think you'd mentioned once that Tiberius asked a question about that, like, oh, I heard a god died somewhere. How come nobody told me about that? Well, not only he, the god, but they, the, the, their people killed their own god, and he viewed the, what kind of people would kill their own god, and he actually banned and... Uh, "Quote unquote holocausted uh, Judeans, you know, of that faith, you know, what's called the Judean religion from Rome. It was about, a, and also the, the, you know, the 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 territories that were very tight under Roman rule. That whole, you know, uh, Mediterranean rim. They had to go extreme east or extreme west or very south, and uh, they killed quite a few, almost a million, because of that over a ten-year period. There's a reason why you don't get." Uh, anything about the Eastern culture because uh, they need to keep an enemy. So they keep people in the dark about the Middle East. You hear about the Western culture, even I say, is based on the Greek um, uh, Greek foundation, uh, you know, regarding political science and philosophy, things like medicine. But actually, I would say that uh, if you look at Greece, it was an agriculture, basically olive farmers, sheep herders, and about a um, hundred or two city-states, nothing really going on there. And the modern ruins that you see actually that are there today that are marveled as Greek actually were not even made by the Greeks, but that's another discussion. Um, Western culture in the past 200 years has grabbed onto that to keep in, in the dark what actually happened in, in the Middle East is about uh, Southwestern Asia. And their achievements, so they can always have an enemy xenophobic uh, position, right? So when you see anything coming out of the Western culture, you have to keep in mind, you know, what about Southwestern Asia or Asia at that time? Also, since uh, this is just to bounce around a little, we're talking about the history of Christianity, um, Empirically, mathematically, scientifically, philosophically, there is no such thing as Christianity uh, as a whole. That's just a loose term. It's all Catholicism, like it or not. So if you're a Christian, you're Catholic, period. A, five, uh, a 2 to 5% variation on a, on a Christian sect does not make you non-Catholic, sorry. You know, the other sects. 
Yeah, um, they would dispute that there's some doctrinal differences, but I understand your point. Two to two to five percent. They're all on the Pope's work schedule, right? The Gregorian calendar. They don't know how to keep time, uh, and they all have this uh, the same iconography and the similar stories, which are false, patently false. You know, the only thing that you'll find in their stories and beliefs that is accurate is it happened sometime around two thousand years ago, in and around the land known as Judea and surrounding areas. Outside of that, nothing is true. Kind of like in New York, there was two uh, tall skyscrapers uh, in around the time of September, such a year, and they were vaporized. Outside of that, nothing is true. Or with JFK, there is a American president in his limousine and his had his head blown in half. Outside of that, nothing is true. Uh, the Great American Depression, people had money one day, then they didn't, and they all started starving. Outside of anything else that you hear, that is not true. Very simple. So the reductionist principle uh, is enough to just uh, get one on a path of study. And then after you – well, he, let me just interject this. The Greek-speak stuff is to save people from two decades of worthless study, which is not worthless until – you know, after 20 years, you find that it was not necessary if just someone – where in five minutes or 150 words or less can assemble the, the actual true and accurate notion of what went on with both specifics and non-specifics that an eight-year-old can comprehend. And that's what I've been doing for the past decade and a half to save you or, you know, the listener two decades of uh, looking into and pondering, you know, the uh, subject matter, regardless of what it is. Yeah, which is certainly a gem for those people that uh, recognize it as such. For other people, it's just a regular rock that they don't see any distinctive features about. But that, I guess that's their problem. So, following the death of the Christ, we have a series of political events taking place from the Judeans purging from their communities, anyone who claimed to follow the Christ, to the Judeo-Roman Wars a few decades later. Eventually, you have emperors like Constantine getting involved. All right, I'm going to uh, interject here. There, no one was really following the Christ in reality. They were acknowledging the events and acknowledging him. Because the way you follow the Christ is doing uh, keeping the biblical law. He is not this rebellious son that came here to get rid of his father's laws. Was, you know, paraphrasing here, right? Right, right. So you don't follow him. You do what he said. Basically, you view him as the completion of uh, many things that were asked about what this is all about. Indeed, acknowledging rather. And uh, given that you had a roller coaster of emperors who were both for and against so-called Christianity as it was developing in its early stages, what were the foremost political mo motivations for the Roman Empire to eventually adopt it in the 4th century with Constantine? Because I think you said in the past that Constantine really wanted to create a superstate, and for that you need a unified system of banking, military, law, and religion, and that was really his agenda. Sure, but if you follow Constantine, it's, I have no proof of this, but it, he was given marching orders on what to do just like the Senate did for killing Julius Caesar 400 years before. It's the same people behind the scenes. It was time to do that. Also, um, there's something about uh, magic, uh, you know, uh, spells, incantations uh, that require uh, everyone to focus on a particular thing. 
and they noticed when they unified that consciousness, no ma- it didn't matter what it was. You can go and have half the world focus on the color blue, and once you have that, then you pull off of that focus anything you want, right? Because of the conscious, the temporal nature of that, right? Uh, it's kind of like everyone tuning in to watch a you know, particular show. You, you can use their energy that way. So it sounds kind of mystical and magical, right? But that's how the world is run. There's nothing. What we're being told about Constantine is a complete lie. Yeah, I don't think he even really existed as as told. You know, I mean, he did exist as far as we can see. But what the common lay, even academic academician, has to say about him is not true. And that's another discussion I can get into a little bit now. But I'd rather not because the focus, I think, is different. Well, it's interesting about the what you're saying about the magic aspect, because one thing that I wonder about is that if the Christian religion can be shown to have been built on, in part, misconstruing the events of the first century AD, or at least misrepresenting them, then how could they have successfully rallied so much political power behind it when the Romans already had their own religion that they felt worked? And in fact, they're throughout you know the second and third centuries there was a lot of debate in the senate like what are we doing adopting this this is garbage let's persecute these people and then it would turn around and then some emperor would come along that would say no we should support it and so on and so Hmm. forth until constantine they they were not persecuting the christians there were no christians really back then as as such they were persecuting the people that were becoming aware of biblical law well i'm talking more i guess second third century you had these people you know, after oh, the, sec- yes. after well, the second century, it- those original Christians were gone, and now you had these madmen, like the monks and the- so on and so forth. Right, right. right. And there would be like a mercenary, a political mercenary, or a mil- you always have to have some belief behind the military system, right? Yeah, simple. Uh, and then you could actually just fast forward to the creation of Islam was to stop the, uh, you know, by showing the Christians are uh, 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 idol worshippers. And basically, fairy tale worshippers. Uh, Islam was created to thwart uh, the expansion of Christianity, which it mostly succeeded in doing for Southwestern Asia. Although supplanting it with something else, which became an issue, but we'll have a separate episode on uh, Islam. Well, anything to anything to block, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? So, but they they're more adherent. I mean, if there's uh, quotes by Maimonides. Uh, 16th century or so, 15th century, stating the Christians are abominable uh, pagan practices, and uh, basically uh, praised the Islam for, you know, getting rid of idols and keeping them away. Even though he could not, they could not uh, progress uh, Judaism, so they'll take the Islam uh, Islamic um, stance over the Judaic stance if you cannot progress Judaism, you see. Mm-hmm. At least the, the in the Islamic stance, they have maintained some sense of law, where the Christians will tell you outright they're, they're, you know, they're lawless, right? Indeed. I haven't answered your question about the 4th century and all that, but uh, we don't know uh, much about the Dark Ages because it, the reason they're called dark is because the information has been cut off. But you will not find any Christian, modern Christian iconography or uh, doctrine or anything that goes uh, before the, the, even the year 800, but typically the year 400. You will not find that. So between the first century and the year 400, we don't know really what was going on. 
and they sort of invented something 400 years after the fact because you know humans have such a good memory you know it's a, it's again it's a it's an aspect of the political machine and if you understand this is a planet of low functioning morons it's very simple to see that it doesn't take much in other words you don't need a, anything to be qualitative you just need it to be quantitative that everyone can do it you hear that all the time with political leaders we want something that every all of our citizens can have right and at the same time you had the the private academies become universities right and uh, just to bounce around here people uh, seem to adore these academics and there's academia academics and universities are not for education it's just to provide a certain uh, amount of quote-unquote knowledge that is distilled by those who have the power if you study for example all of the main uh, universities in the US the the old ones they were all started with money from the opium trade and human trafficking and things like that so no matter where people go to get whatever they think they're getting it's dirty so why would you give them consciously provide them with a religion that is not they would not see it as something they can assimilate or consume no that makes sense so let's let's stay in the sort of first three centuries uh, for the moment because um, in this period you saw the rise of religious groups that tried to explain what was going on and they would characterize the Christ in their own preferred way um, I know there's no one group called the Gnostics, and it's an oversimplified term, but those groups were some of the most prominent ones to do that. And I've never really been able to de determine the origin of that tradition because it does predate the first century. It has elements of Platonism and Buddhism mixed in. What do you know about the evolution of, of that Gnosticism movement in general? It's simple. Um, it's And Plato was, you know, uh, he hailed from the middle, you know, his knowledge and his philosophical base came from Kabbalistic roots, right? Meaning uh, from the Southwest Asia and all that. And uh, even back then, the model of, let's say, the Asia versus the Indo-European cultures um, being at odds with each other permanently was set up. So it's very simple. You have uh, ideologies from either culture, the West and the East, bleed over only to serve those that are controlling both sides. So what you know about Plato is not true entirely, and what you know about the East is not true entirely, what you know about the West is not true entirely. Again, uh, we're speaking at a time that was classified, I guess, as the Dark Ages, or the beginning of the Dark Ages, and it's informationally dark. But what we can see through architecture and tradition that it morphed out of um, uh, other things that gives what, what we call Christianity uh, no sense of originality, right? Can you expand on that point a bit, no sense of originality? Yeah, there's nothing original about Christianity. Uh, name one thing that's, uh, that is um, identifiable just to Christian, uh, the Christian tradition, because that's what it is. You can't. Everything is borrowed or stolen from other cultures. The way they keep time, their holidays, who they worship is an agglomeration, uh, the way they worship, you know. Uh, and also, just to throw this in, we're kind of um, not evading, but this has to be considered because we're doing it in present time. And this is not necessarily a history, but an overall commentary on uh, what the Christian meme and the Christian tradition is about. 
what solidified the Christian tradition that we consider to be Christian today is not the the third or fourth century, but the King James Bible, right? So everything is based on the King James Version. What version? They're all King James. You know it's King James if you open it in the first verses, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, right? Heavens and the earth. That's anything that has that as the first verse is King James Version variation. So don't, you know, just like if they say, well, I'm not Catholic, I'm this form of Christianity, you're still Catholic. A two or five percent variation does not make it another religion, right? They don't know what day it is. They don't. They cannot identify properly any of the characters. They don't even know the name of the. Uh, you know, you could uh, ask a thousand Christians, a hundred thousand Christians, a million Christians, what the name of God is, and they cannot answer. Or you know, if you ask who described the Christ, they talk about a guy nailed to a cross wearing a diaper, which is not biblical or whatever, or prophetic, or in the text, or in the history. So. It, you have a serious problem, a human problem, again, low-functioning creatures that have to be you know, fed uh, whatever is put out in the trough, in the feeding trough. And that's very simple. It's almost uh, like a non-subject, right? Uh, in other words, we can speak – this is not to disparage the, the topic, but in a sense, it's almost like speaking about the medical industry. If they don't know how the body works and cannot explain accurately how the body works, everything else is nonsense, right? So what you're experiencing in the, the in this nonsense reality, which is a joke, but it's a joke that you could be killed in. Actually, there were in the 80s and 90s movies about game shows where people were really killed, right? This is where you're living. Uh, you were set – humans were set up to be low-functioning creatures from the beginning, this particular iteration. And uh, everything else that you are given, whether it's uh, religion, science, culture, whatever, is going to be on that low-functioning par. And if you're not a low-functioning individual, I feel sorry that you're here. Um, in terms of charting specific occurrences within Gnosticism that would dovetail with Christianity, um, we have this group known as the Simonians who were led by a Samaritan called Simon Magus, a character that's curiously mentioned in the New Testament for what seems like no apparent reason, and Christians will take his story to be more of an appendage to the work of the Apostles. And if you examine what second-century writers had to say it, it becomes clear that this guy is an, an important figure and i just wanted to ask you to sort of talk in general about what mm -hmm. you know about him other than we know we'll get to the pope stuff later well but. that was one of the first uh, criticisms i gave on christianity when i say christian it's catholicism also is this simon peter guy this simon magus and it's interesting how yeah, think of it like, you know, you, you, they hang a guy, Saddam Hussein, but then you have an American president, you know, Hussein also, right? It gets a little confusing, you know. So, um, you know, Hussein Obama, right? And uh, so they, they, the mixture of names does not uh, mean the identifiers uh, are the same, and uh, it doesn't mean that it's the same person, or you have to really get into identifying things here. So uh, none of the nobody went uh, to Europe out of the biblical text other than Paul and his crew. Everyone else went east. So the first sign is that if you have a Simon Peter or a si Simon Shimon of any sort, uh, which as a Samaritan is is mostly pagan, just inclusive of um, the Judean deities, right? Or deity, uh, because the Samaritans are a byproduct of the Assyrian invasion. I would say loosely. I could think most people would find that accurate uh, in their studies. And uh, being a magician just means he's like um, uh, wealthy, 
as a if you're known to be a magician in ancient times you were quite popular as such and you were quite wealthy also and um and it could just when when he's a magician he was not just the ledger domain uh prestidigitation like pull a rabbit out of a hat with a secret compartment but also dabbling into occult ritual right like more like an alistair crowley type figure let's say or jack parsons and you see so uh, you have a mixture of that and influence, and the Indo-Europeans, the Romans at the time, also found that the height of human culture was to be uh, extracted from the Middle East or the East, even in those days, right? So it was a the natural sentiment to accept a wealthy, quote-unquote, trickster that was also uh, an occultist from the East uh, to sort of... Uh, lay uh do an overlay on the reasoning for what's been going on or what has been known to have gone on in the past uh was very well accepted yeah so i'd like to point out you know some of the practices that this simon magus instituted um with his group it's not to say that he was the first in history to do any of those things but it appears that christianity was shaped shaped specifically by some of those practices and so first we have the introduction of the pagan imagery that evolved into the depictions of what we see today of the Christ and the Virgin Mary. Uh, just to quickly quote from Irenaeus, um, his second century book called Against Heresies, he writes, They, the Simonians, also possessed images, some of them painted and others formed from different kinds of material. They crowned these images and set them up along with the images of the philosophers of the world, that is to say Pythagoras and Plato and Aristotle. They also have other modes of honoring these images after the same manner of the Gentiles, end quote. Um, and so the Simonians also held to that Simon Magus was not only the Christ, but also the father. So just to quote from Irenaeus again, quote, he, Simon Magus, was glorified by many as a god, and he taught that it was he who appeared among the Jews as the son of God, while in Samaria he descended as the father, and the rest of the world he came to as the Holy Spirit. He was the highest power, and he allowed himself to be called by whatever name men pleased, end quote. Sure, that's been going on. That goes on today if you go to inner city neighborhoods where you have uh, influence of the Nation of Islam. You have five percenters. I've witnessed this, and they dress well, and they're, they take the characters to go out and find recruits in the inner city, and they go, I'm God. I'm God. You call me God, right, or born, right? Word is bond, right? All that stuff, right? So you'll see this in the inner cities going on today by, you know, rambunctious characters. So Simon Magus was like a, um, uh, let's say, imagine uh, the guy who has Amazon, the Bozo, Jeff Bozo, or the Facebook guy, uh, uh, Zuck the Borg, um, taking on a 5%er attitude and calling themselves God. They would get at least a million followers as such, wouldn't they? There's actually news. If you understand, there's other people of, of one other uh, Douglas Dietrich. I'll mention his name. This there was a um, clipping. Uh, I did find it actually on the internet. It's no longer there. Um, George Bush Senior, when he was president of the U.S., uh, he was a uh, Mooney, Reverend Sung Young Moon. And there's a photo of him while he was president, laying down on stage on his stomach with his wife, worshiping Sung Young Moon as the Son of God. It was it was a bad Xerox copy, but you could see it's him. And this was back in the 90s when he was president or just before his election or just after the election. But nonetheless, 
it's not something that he developed right before or after the election. It was while he was president, worshipped uh, Sung Young Moon as a son of God. He's the Mooney. Everyone in uh, – it's very popular, not everyone. majority of older people in uh, Asia were laughing when you had George Bush as president. Like, oh, he's a Mooney. You have the Mooney as president? Gosh, you're really down in the, in the dregs. U.S. has always been – yeah, talk about like uh, low-functioning people, the leadership in, shown in the U.S. That should be your warning. Always been low-functioning individuals. You know, uh, a guy pushing nickel bags in the parks got more character than any U.S. president you could ever have or had. Well, I think certainly after the Trump era, even the average person would have to agree. Oh, yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter yeah, which one it was. I mean, you have even like a Jimmy Carter, you know, and they asked him, in his presidency, why did you let the Shah of Iran come to the U.S.? Is because David Rockefeller told me to. <laughs> you know, I mean, you have so much. You know, it's just absurd. But anyway, the U.S. is just a dumping ground. You know, from you know, you go west, you know, to get away always, right? So until you go so far west that it becomes east. So back to the Simon Magus character. Nothing to see here. It's just a typical. Uh, the Simon Magus is being used like Osama bin Laden or. Uh, Oswald, uh, it wasn't just him. It was his posse, his crew, and those that decided he should. Remember, the bankers run the world, but they don't own it. The, the, the world, the earth, and the humans on it, and most things that are socialized, uh, meaning have formed societies, have uh, owners. Whoever, whose ever land you're on, you are the property of who owns that land. Right? You're, you're, a, uh, you're not a fixed... You're not immovable, but it doesn't, right? So uh, it, you're not a, a stump in the ground, but because you're living on it, you're a property of whoever owns that land. And that's been divvied up and uh, put in the form of shareholders, owners, uh, and administrators uh, uh, since the beginning of time. And we don't know who they are. Um, this is beyond Illuminati and Freemasons. Those are more the administrators. Uh, the yeah, administrators of the uh, quote-unquote official presentation. I think what's going to be really shocking as we get into the, let's just use the, you know, in the end all things will be revealed, right? You know, there are many ends. Like the end of society really started 100 years ago or more, you know, with World War One. believe it or not. You know, if you take it in 100-year chunks, right? Because you could see empires falling within 100 years. You could see that their downward turn. Uh, or world societies or the way things are done. But uh, again, anything we talk about regarding any religion is has been made. The reason we're talking about it because it's conventional or uh, commonly known is because it was made permissible by those that are running the earth. right? And they're also on a certain tier. There are other beings that are higher than them that make it permissible until you know until it goes to the highest cosmic being that also makes it permissible that's where you can lend a lot of credence into the Taoist buddhist uh revelatory thoughts of it's all okay try to find peace in it instead of changing it or believing this or believing that right you know that's where you uh might find some commendable thought but it doesn't mean it's accurate you know when you come down to the subject matter Indeed. And so to um, piggyback on some of the things you mentioned before, as we chart the 
this, the path of this Simon Magus character, by the 3rd century AD, it appears that the Simonians had de-emphasized Simon Magus and his, um, he had a female prostitute companion called Helen. Sure. And they sure. had replaced those guys with gods like Zeus or Minerva, which probably morphed into other gods later. Um, I know that Serapis was a popular Egyptian substitute for Zeus, and I think he was the inspiration for the long-haired Christ depiction that later got... Asclepius. Yes. Asclepius would be very, almost a mirror, uh, a copy, a plagiarizing image of Asclepius, the god of health. That's where you see the two fingers, the upward, uh, the, the palm facing the viewer with the fingers uh, up. That's Asclepian, mm-hmm. god, god of well-being, which is a categorized as an Egyptian god, but it was created by Greeks in Egypt. Indeed, along with characters like Serapis. So between some of those uh, guys, you have this syncretism going on where they just absorb their image into the Christ depiction, and then that gets absorbed into the Catholic Church. Minerva possibly becomes the Virgin Mary. Um, we don't know exactly what the trajectory sure. I, is. I think, just to interject here, I think they settled on it more than absorbed. Because it, it toggled back and forth. It's just, they settled on it, right? Let's settle on this for now. Because remember, when you say absorbed, it seems like a, like more than syncretism, right? Subsuming or uh, becoming part of. It's Every time they settle on something, it's even more watered down and even uh, less histor- has less historical value and even less... Uh, origination. In other words, it's taken even further away from its point of origin and, and newly created. And uh, whenever that's done, by the way, whenever the uh, administrators of any society settle on something, it's usually scoffed by the current generation that it's presented to. And when they die off, it's fully accepted and integrated into the next generation, right? But based on that, on the fact that you have this syncretic thing going on, whether it's direct or indirect, it isn't inaccurate to say that Christianity is actually the biggest exponent of pagan religion ever created by way of syncretism of multiple gods, which is quite interesting when you think about how adamant it is about calling itself monotheistic. It's actually the opposite. It's actually the most, also the most dumbed down and inapplicable to uh, human life. At least with most pag- pagan gods, you, it had attributes that you could apply to gardening or something, you know, right? Or be uh, uh, not in juxtaposition of things that you want to avoid and uh, uh, emphasizing things you want uh, to do. Like they had, uh, you'll get more power if you're an idol worshiper and a blacksmith finding out which god is for the blacksmiths. uh, You'll get more out of your blacksmithing trade than if you were whatever trade and were a Christian. You see what I mean? Because at least, you know, you, you're, uh, it's all predicated in idolatry, but at least you're closer to some deity or elemental, of, right, that actually might exist. But when you look at what's been accepted and settled on in the Christian meme, it does not exist at all. Uh, I've had certain, several conversations, and I say those, the iconography and imagery they give you in Christianity, at best, are egregores, you know, a thought form that creates something. So that is, um, we're going into another form of, you know, spirituality here. Like I was on uh, interviewed by Freeman once, and we brought up Christianity. He says that's the gateway to Satanism. And I was like, yeah, pretty much, but it actually is a form of Satanism, meaning adversarial to human, right? 
because if you look at, like you said earlier, the images that are being shown, those are egregores. They do not exist. They never have existed historically. But they can come into, they'll manifest because if you have enough people thinking of the color blue, everything starts to look blue. It's this effect of the conscious mind, let's say, on society. So it's, it's even more bizarre than you can imagine. That's why very often, you know, people say, I'm Christian. I said, oh, you're into demonology. And they don't understand it because demonology to them is something, you know, that they only, uh, you know, the only attribute to that term is from Hollywood, for example. Right. And so just as some context for the audience about this syncretism point, I mentioned that Simon was also a Samaritan. And this was a curious group of people in northern Israel who in the Old Testament had gone over to the pagan religion of Jeroboam, where they were worshipping two golden calves instead of the God of Israel. So they're basically an apostate group who, when the Assyrians came along, as you mentioned, they were deported and replaced with populations from Babylon and other Mesopotamian cities. But then those new people didn't know how to honor the God of the land, and lions attacked them, and so they asked for a priest to be sent back to show them how to act properly. But then that priest wasn't even from the tribe of Levi, so he was one of these apostate priests who didn't follow the original religion. And so the New Samaritan population kind of ends up with their Babylonian gods mixed with fake Israelite religion, using the name of the Israelite god, but not knowing who he is. Sure, but let me stop you there for a moment. Let's interject some substance here. The the god of the Bible, Yahweh, would find uh, observing and adhering to his laws— on a higher level than direct, just directly worshiping him as their, as your God. In other words, uh, he, there's paraphrasing here, even in the first chapter of Isaiah, he says, well, I'm tired of your Sabbaths and your new moons and all this stuff, right? Um, he prefers that the people uh, walk their talk and talk their walk instead of just talk or worship, right? He's, he's that kind of a God. Correct. And of course, the Samaritans didn't know any of that stuff. Right. Or they knew enough of it that they could know more if they so were directed to, but that was not their lot in, in this world. Right. And so Simon Magus is coming out of that kind of culture that just mixes all different kinds of things. And I think it makes him an interesting candidate to start this universal Catholic Church religion that was actually also just mass syncretism of Babylonian, Greek, Israelite, Eastern stuff into one system. It, very much like the IMF is for the monetary system. International Monetary Fund, it's the International Religious Fund. It's a centralized world system. And here's, a, I'll make a comment that might be shocking to people, but people are, if they're not low functioning, they'll see it immediately. Uh, in this current day that we're making this recording, uh, any religion on the planet is only there by permission and approval by the Vatican. Otherwise, they'll be wiped out. They do have that kind of power. Look at the ultimatum given to the Ottoman Empire. I'm not going to cite specific because I don't recall the specifics, but I'm paraphrasing. World War One was basically to disband the Ottoman Empire, amongst other things, uh, with, with uh, the Germans. And they were given an ultimatum. You're, you're going to get on our calendrical system, you're going to use Roman script, and you, all your families are going to take on surnames, or we will just wipe you out. Well, guess what they did? They took on the calendrical system, Roman script, and they now have all surnames. Very simple. You think the uh, communist Chinese are destroying uh, 
Tibetans in the outback because they just uh, because they're communist? You think the communist CCP Chinese are just uh, some autonomous communist uh, whatever? They were set up by the Americans. That is very interesting. I hadn't really put that together before that some of these despotic regimes are just uh, extensions of certain religious entities that want them to do their bidding. Yeah, there is no place to go. There is nothing to do. What does that mean? It, literally, there is nothing to do and no place to go it, within, the, when the, within what the world offers. But you are still, here's the interesting thing now, there are some just quote-unquote despotic regimes. The word despot means bishop, by the way, in Greek. So what does that mean, right? Uh, so it's kind of like uh, Mashiach and Nakash have the same num numerological value, right? Um, it's either good or bad, but it, they're almost equal, right? So um, what you'll find is in most cases, if you profess, even speak on something contrary to what everyone has accepted, you're not put to death or imprisoned for it, right? Like, for example, lore has it that if you say something about the premier in North Korea, you could be thrown into a labor camp, right? Today. I know for sure, this has been confirmed by several people, if you publicly speak out against the Pope in Europe, it's a 5,000 euro fine in most countries still. So when I say there's nothing to do, nothing to say, nothing, it's, you know, it's pretty obvious what's going on. Interesting. So next, I, I want to look a bit at what you'd mentioned earlier, this conflation that's taking place between Simon Magus and Peter the Apostle, because the Catholic teaching says that Peter went to Rome at the same time as Simon Magus. They had some kind of battle during the reign of Emperor Claudius, and then Peter wins this battle, defeats Simon Magus, and becomes the Pope until Nero persecutes him in 68 AD or so and crucifies him upside down on the Vatican Hill. Um, sure, just like the Arab hijackers that flew the airplanes into the World Trade Center happened to be on Egyptian television saying, we're here. There's two sides to it. Most people believe that they did fly airplanes into the buildings. Other people don't believe it at all because they're alive um, on Egyptian television. And then the other most people don't care either way. So for the Catholic whatever uh, academy to put out a nonsensical reasoning, who cares? As in most people, right? Those that care know that there's nothing you could do about it. Or should you care about those that do care about it? Or you shouldn't even care about those who don't care about it. You see what I mean? No, I, I see what you mean. Um, interestingly enough... In, in other words... the the BS has been so accepted by people, then, so what if it's BS? Then you have to stop looking at the BS and look at the character of the people that accept it. And those that know it's BS but still go along with it. How can you create a better society with people like that? You can't, right? So. Yeah, I mean, none of the early, it's interesting that none of the early prominent uh Right, Christian writers had anything to say about that. Um, just to give a few, oh, even today, I am completely uh, when I there's I'm not going to mention names like Heiser. I'm not going to mention names like <laughs> there's plenty of them. Uh, Martin, Ernest Martin, all those other guys, they're in it because they knew if they if they had any truth and they actually put it out, 
they would be sleeping on a park bench and eating out of a garbage can, right? They're there for um, the money. For example, I know people that were part of the uh, – who's that little short guy? Herbert Armstrong and uh, Martin and those other guys broke away from Herbert Armstrong. Uh, they left in the, when they were uh, sort of exiled. And I spoke about proper timekeeping and this and that. I'm like, oh, we can't do that because no one will buy our books. Should I say any more? And that Heiser, I mean, I'm into, you know, Michael Heiser, same, the same ilk, you know, just because he went to the academy. Okay, the, I think I explained, uh, you have no education, you have no schools. Those are academies, they're academics, they're universities. Duh. Right. If you're not an autodidact, you're, not, you're, you're a dumbass. So... The opposite of um, the brave is not the coward, it's the conformist, right? So anyway, the, uh, the simple meme that the earth is going to be cleaned up and human society is going to be destroyed is a true one. The ones that are going to be doing all this destruction are the good guys. They're not going to destroy it to end it, but they're going to destroy it as a mop-up crew would clean up a place, really deep cleaning. So there's really nothing to do, say, or, or whatever, act on, unless it's your own personal within your own being and your family, if you have such a thing, a real family, uh, until that time comes. Which, paraphrasing and by coincidence, there's something about that time that is emphasized in all of Scripture, especially what they call the New Testament, which is not Scripture in my regard. Because if you take it as scripture, you would take uh, graduate level studies as core education, right? If you take a four-year-old and throw him into graduate studies, whether he's there for one hour or one year, you ask him, do you have any questions? And he immediately says, yes, I do. And what's the question? Do you have any candy? You get it? Core education is... The fundamentals, the three R's, writing, reading, arithmetic, you know. So uh, if you know that, you will see the New Testament as being continuation of Scripture, but not Scripture on its own. That's your first uh, sign that you're being hoodwinked. Uh, when you're going to hoodwink someone, you present a problem that brings fear and uncertainty, and then immediately you present a solution that brings relief, Never how the problem came about and how the solution will bring relief. Never. Just take, this is where you are now, take this then, right? That's Christianity, that's political system, that's the medical system. You see how it works? Got people running, just accept him, you'll be fine. Who's him? Which one? The thing is, it's so bizarre and so ridiculous. It's like a running joke, and guess who's the punchline is? You. You know, falling for it. There is no punchline. The punchline is when you actually fall. Just listening to the joke is the punch is just as bad as a bad punchline. So it, it ties in with low functioning species, a species that was set up to be low functioning. Indeed. And whose fault is that? I don't think there's any fault, but there's a level of wisdom that cannot be seen at this point. Hmm. Uh, on why and why it is such a way 
So uh, also, just one thing we haven't added in, um, the academic world uh, or historians which are professed to be atheists do call this the Christian era. So it is secular. This is known as the Christian era. You can find it in multiple graphs and multiple charts and multiple uh, writings on what the past two millennia have been. Before we go on from Simon Magus' character, um, I just want to give a few short proofs that Peter indeed never went to Rome. I know you mentioned it, but just to be a bit more thorough for the audience, um, Justin Martyr had written about Simon Magus in the second century, saying that he was a Samaritan magician who came to Rome during the time of Claudius Caesar, about 45 AD, and he made such an impression with his magical powers that they decided to honor him as a god and put up a statue to him saying, the holy god Simon. Um, so that's actually a matter of uh, historical record, and at that time it was illegal to put up a statue of any man as a god unless you had the permission of the emperor and the senate. So we know that Simon was able to get into the government in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he was. It was made. It was made permissible. The Senate in Rome and the emperors in Rome were just about as powerful as any president or prime minister is today. Nothing has changed. They're just a show for the people, because if they don't have them focusing on a centralized power like that, they might become. Uh, individual city-states that might actually protect their environment and have a harmonious community. And then because the people are uh, uh, have so much fortitude because of some strong values, they might be able to take over other city-states. You see what I mean? You wipe out the competition. Think of a time machine. You go and kill them before they're, when they're born so you don't have to deal with them as an adult. So you don't leave people like the pastoral pos- policy for Germany. Uh, who was it Morgenthau or whoever wrote it in the 20s that Germany should be reduced to a pasture because the German people are prone to advancement and have mental and moral fortitude. We need to get rid of them. This has been around since the time. You think uh, Julius Caesar was just killed because of disgruntled senators? The orders came down from above. None of this stuff is real. I mean, it was what people think is real. There is a power base that's been running this planet since the beginning of what you call civilization. Who are they? We don't know. We have some hints of who they are. And you have two species of humans, which I've shown, and uh, one of them would most act as a subspecies, mentally low-functioning. The other is very few in number, much higher functioning. Are they the ones that are running it? No. I don't. Well, they might be part of the administrative, but not. We don't see them either. The reason why this has been gotten away with for so long is because you got such a short lifespan. If you live to three, four, five, even eight hundred years old, you'd see it and be able to do something about it. It takes thirty to fifty years to master something, anything, in this temporal thing that we exist. You know the way everything works in nature. You need thirty. So that's not going to happen, right? Because you're dead by then, 70, 80, 90. But if you worked, if you matured by 30 or 40, because people now are at the point where they're 80 and they're not mature. You don't believe it? You know, go go out and talk to some relatives or friends or whatever about mature subject matter. They stopped growing at 12 or 13. Why should they grow anymore? You're not, you don't live long enough to do anything or think about anything properly. So here's the key that I'm going to – I always throw these things in. Yes, I do give advice. Not until you see the human living more than three to four hundred years will you have any advancement or improvement in your culture. Indeed. There are some uh, writings about that in uh, ancient 
scripts as well. Uh, just to wrap up this last bit about the Simon Magus thing, it also says in Acts 12, 3 that Peter was in prison in Jerusalem around the 45 AD mark when he was supposedly supposed to have made this church in, in Rome. And then in 49 AD, he was still in Jerusalem attending the council there. In 51 AD, he was in Syria arguing with Paul about whether or not to eat with the Gentiles. In 66 AD, he was in Babylon, which is in the east. So there's really no time or possibility for Simon Peter to go and set up a church in Rome, but you have to plot out the timeline by actually reading the New Testament. Sure. Just like most people saw Oswald getting a Coke from the Coke machine when the president was shot. Right. And the uh, hijackers being on Egyptian television. <laughs> I mean, it's it's pretty much in your face, right? Well, I mean, you can you have to put it in front of your face because no one else is because the people that used to do that are either no longer here or realize that doesn't do anything. It has to be on par with a low-functioning human, and they'll accept it. And a low-functioning human will not discern and care to discern, right? Indeed, you should. We should all strive not to be low-functioning humans. But, but yeah, for well, some actually, people, it's a challenge. If you are a low-functioning human, that's it. That's all your thing is. You can get out of it, but again, you don't have enough time, and uh, it's a little late. It's kind of like if you're a low-functioning human, it's like you showed up for the exam and you've never done any homework. You can cheat, maybe a cheat sheet, and you can guess. You see what I mean? It's not it's not completely sealed. You're not condemned if you're low functioning. Because there's uh of course there's miracles. Right? <laughs> but anyway. Yeah, no, I follow you. In terms of Christian history, uh, there's one last thing I want to look at and then we'll we'll really, really move on, which is the origin of the word Christian itself because I remember an explanation that you gave a few years back about the word Christian and so I wanted to quote from that and then maybe you can develop it further. So, begin quote, It's hard to explain how bad the word Christian is because it goes beyond any pejorative we can conceive of today. People today insist that certain slurs aimed at particular groups are derogatory, but what they gloss over is that those groups have been using those terms colloquially for a long time, whether it's homosexuals using the word fag or African Americans who refer to each other with the N-word. But Christian which was created by the Jewish leadership, was so derogatory that it was never used with that kind of jest or lightheartedness. There is no English term today that shows the magnitude of what that word meant. In the first century AD, Christian, which meant something like Messianite or Zealot, was referring to those who were politically dangerous and wanted to start trouble that would get everyone killed by the Roman government. Because if the Romans even suspected an uprising, they didn't waste time to root out the rebellion, they just threatened to kill off 10% of the population until the problem was solved or everyone was dead. So there was this movement going on after the death of the Messiah that the Pharisees frowned upon because they were pushing the oral law, not the Torah. But those people took an interest in the Torah and were encouraging people to keep it the way that Moses had given it. So those people who discovered what the Christ was really about and what the events meant became enemies of the authorities and they were labeled as Christians or zealots. But they never called themselves that because it was always considered an insult. And that group went underground by the 2nd century AD. And what took a hold after that was the equivalent of 9-11 conspiracy theory run by the Gnostics and the Pharisees, which is today's Christianity that makes no sense. End quote. Um, that's quite a lot, but whatever you want to add to it, you know, feel wow, free. Wow, well, that's that sounds really good. I mean, that's a, a miniature essay right there. What else is there more to say?
Well, I just think it's it's um, you know you, uh, sometimes you find it referenced in some academic paper. Occasionally, somebody will do good grunt work, and you'll see evidence of things that are true that somebody dug up. The notion of Christian being an insult, I found it so hard to find anything pointing to that. Even the if you talk to people that speak ancient Greek, they find it hard to really pull that out of the manuscripts that it's being used in a derogatory way that it, it, it's not really used as a compliment or a religious term it's more like a madman well well sure well yeah the zealot was also you know ultimately if you were derailed the zealots were very selfish or with it or, or wanted to maintain or further the cause of their group and everyone else was expendable and that was viewed from a high administrative point of view and cosmic point of view as being uh, a big no-no, right? So uh, the the zealot is even under understated because you have to see in the in the light of the culture and the ideology, and from the Judean culture to be a zealot in such a way or a messianite and all that was not only a secular problem but a cosmic problem, right? Uh, so it was a pretty bad uh, condition. And you won't, again, regarding not finding anything, uh, it only takes a generation or two to wipe out the meaning of something. Or or its use, its known use, or the, uh, the implications of its use. Uh, I put on a, uh, a, a, I was talking about Felix the Cat, I went on YouTube uh, 1959 here's felix the cat he's gay and he's what you know means he's happy right but so between 1959 and let's say even before 2000 they wouldn't say that now right but because it means something completely different you see how only 50 years is enough to wipe out uh the the way the word is used and how in its connotation yeah, it's a challenge. I mean, I I know that probably in some library somewhere there's something, um, but online anyway, it's very difficult to find that. Sure. Uh, like, for example, it was decided uh, less than 200 years ago to wipe out anything, even scratching off hieroglyphs uh, on Egyptian monuments about the underground people, the societies that lived underground and always were there, non-human and, and sort of humanoid. You won't find anything uh, about it. Uh, and there was tons of stuff written about it, and it's sort of implied in myth, in mythological form, fiction, and all that brought back into modern day. Yeah. But it, uh, before 200 years ago, uh, it was commonly known that there were races of other beings, intelligent beings, that lived underground. Some predatory, some not. And there's nothing, uh, even to the point where hier you'll see there is a lot of hieroglyphs that have been carved out. So... I mean, I'm just throwing this in as a left field, you know, out of the blue tangential uh, point. No, but I see the connection as far as knowledge going underground or just being removed. Cool. Uh, so let's move on to another issue within this discussion, which is that of the leadership. I mean, I think you've mentioned a few times on past episodes what the word church means, um, but I think the topic is sure, worth okay. Yes. Um, well, what do you have on it? Well, the scholars who devised the modern dictionaries will state that English word church derives from Greek kyrios oikos, meaning the Lord's house. But, you know, that naming convention didn't really become popular until the 4th century AD, from what I see. And it would have been prohibited, really, to call anything other than the temple or the tabernacle Lord's house. So really, it couldn't have developed that way. Do you know how it slipped into the, the usage that we see today? 
it's not a matter of slipping it's a matter of settling again um it's not something new the the let's say let's just look at the comparisons of what has survived the circus is the three ring circus uh, in ancient times, the Circus Maximus, and especially in Rome and other places, uh, the theaters were a spiritual thing. So just like people go to church on Sunday morning on certain uh, calendrical days, they had they went to the circus, right? And there was a performance, a ritual, and a show. So today, the circus is the day they go. Everyone goes on a certain day. They wear their best. And there's a performance, and the show is what verses and what kind of moral message they're going to give you, right? So instead of an elephant dribbling a ball, it's uh, they'll take five words out of something, usually the New Testament, and try to apply it to why you should pay taxes when there's no money to pay for anything anyway. It's credit, right? So it's so bizarre and so ridiculous that you can't say directly it is the circus because we have a circus today. Right. So uh, they've used a lot of stuff uh, out of the Greek, like ecclesia. In Spanish, it's ecclesia, right? Not cirque or church. Or kidios is the Lord. Um, that was well implanted in Roman culture. Uh, you can even read up until the second or third century, you were fined by Roman authorities if you didn't sacrifice um, a lamb to Hercules you know, depending on what law for your region was, right, on a certain day. So has that gone away? No, has, you know, yes, it has directly, but has the, the, the imposing tradition stayed, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, there's an imposition. Uh, it would be really hard to compare a Gothic cathedral to a, a circus, as we know it today, but they're the same thing, but they're not really. Uh, Gothic cathedral is built uh, geomantically for, and for other purposes. Uh, like, for example, uh, it's not for Christianity. It's for just what people do, building monuments. There was an architect, I remember hearing about this in the 80s, uh, there are archaeological conservative architects. Conservationist is something, you know, someone that goes back and tries to fix old stuff that's been damaged. A lot of bombs uh, blew up a lot of places in Europe in the 40s, and when the conservationists showed up, they were either kept away or the ones that did get through some of the larger churches they found under the altar was an entirely different, another altar. It was completely secret. None of the uh, congregation had known about it. Most of the clergy had not known about it. So what were they doing with that other altar down below? You see? So that's what I mean about it being a circus. It's more like uh, humans always build in, uh, significant structures for, for whatever reason. It's usually a cult practice to, to empower you know, those that understand that the world is run by spells and magic. Right. And that spells and magic is by working with spiritual world um, in a cohort fashion. Right. Uh, and that, by the way, has been cut off by the Christians. But the Christians, when they find that it's so empty, then go over to these other things. Right. Um, but it's still kept very secret uh, as being legitimate. So I would say. 
your, your church, yes, etymologically, yes, it's indistinguishable from the circus as used the word church uh, etymologically. Uh, it's kind of hard to get away from that. Their trinity, you know, the, the whole show. But the when we talk about the edifice, and you look at the uh, the range from you know the local uh, shack that has a cross on it to a cathedral, there's a big variation there. Yeah, just to buttress your point, I, I wanted to quote from the original 1870 edition of the Dictionary of Phrase and Fable. Because in the subsequent versions, they actually changed the entry under church. But in the original version, it says, The etymology of this word is generally assumed to be from the Greek, curious oikos, but this is most improbable, as the word existed in all Celtic dialects long before the introduction of Greek. No doubt the word means a circle. The place, places of worship among the German and Celtic nations were always circular. Compare Anglo-Saxon circi, a small church, with circle, a circle, end quote. So it's interesting how in the sure. subsequent versions they change it. Sure, sure. But there's a language variation in Latin. Like this, it's ecclesia, like the Greek. Uh, but remember, uh, I'm the only Greek I know. And what I have to say about the Greeks is, uh, just like anything, it's being used to prop up um, the underpinning of any ideology. Other than, you know, Greece was a bunch of sheep herders and olive growers with some uh, philosophers thrown in under a city-state structure since the gold, you know, not the golden age, but ancient times. And it was grabbed and shown to be, uh, and also the, that, that philosophical and scientific was all by Eastern influence. And also very, and, you know, there are many words in, uh, in Hindi or in India, modern-day India, that are similar to Greek and but cultures and countries in between do not share, right? People don't know that. Uh, the whether well, I think it was before Alexander the Great, there was an interest in East India. So why was the Greek? Uh, why are the Greeks being used to prop up? You know, as the pillar of Western society, because you need to prop up something for people to believe in and defend an ideology, part of their ideology. But it's mostly uh, the Eastern world that outshone what the Greeks had done. And people say, well, it's democracy. Well, if democracy is so good, well, how is it working out for you? And people don't understand that the city-state, the status of the people, 99 or 97% were slave. So it's just, you know, uh, hollow terms that cannot be backed up. Uh, they become real. They're uh, reified. They're made to be real in people's minds based on whatever culture they live in. So, um, one of the last things we'll be talking about um, is the actual biblical text, or what they call the Bible itself, and how that has shaped some Christian developments. So, yes, let me let me just interject. The, the 1611, which really took on uh, by the 19th century, is what the the modern Christianity is based on. Yes, you know King James. Yeah, and we, which did use which did use. By the way, the proper names and the there was no J early on. It was an I with a little uh, tilde or a little comma at the bottom. So they just connected that little comma with the I, made the letter J. So anyway, and the W, which is two U's put together, get it W, or in other languages called double V, a double V. So anyway. So in ancient times, you had the Aramaic Targums and the Greek Septuagint as some of the first known versions of the Old Testament that spun out. Um, then in the first four centuries, you had a multitude of versions from the Latin Vulgate, to, there was a Gothic version, some Syriac ones, 
you get to the Middle Ages, you have multiple codexes. I think the most notable one is the Wycliffe Bible, published in the 14th century, followed by the Erasmus, publishing um, his Greek New Testament in the 16th century. Martin Luther does it in German soon afterwards, and eventually you get the KJV in 1611. Um, but in spite of all those developments, you know, some would say that it's progress. I well, know you wouldn't. But... Francis Bacon, well, it, well, it's a matter of who was brought in as the main publisher. Like you said, these other versions were around before King James. But the main publisher, which King James was not a king, by the way, he was a Scottish regent when the, the, the crown was in question, uh, which makes it even more uh, funny. Uh, and he also wrote a lot of other books under pseudonyms that were pretty pretty nasty. Um, but he didn't do anything. It was a public works project so he can drive a wedge between the people of England and the monarchy, right? Because the people uh, had deified the monarchy in some regard. So uh, it's kind of like what's going on in the U.S. or in Europe right now by bringing in uh, immigrants that have radically different culture to dilute their own culture, right? Uh, what I would suggest is um, – this was an administrative move, a power move to emphasize that uh, because you could see the versions that came before 1611 were pretty much identical to it, right? Mostly. They, I think they might have even some of the other ones you mentioned had some of what's considered apocryphal works included. And uh, also the division of the books, uh, the, it was important that they divided to get 66 because six and six is they like that number. That's how you get like first and second this and first and second. They kept doing that. And then you left over with one book had to be broken into three parts to get the 66. So um, you could see it's a very subtle management. Whenever the, whenever you put demonology onto a society, you have to make it where it doesn't seem so obvious that it seems uh, plain and simple and it could go either way, right? Uh, it's kind of like, well, these people can – uh, self-mutilate and do this because it's human rights, right? Or whatever. So you have um, uh, a very simple, almost kindergarten-level uh, demonology being drawn in front of you, and, and then you absorb it as uh, a, a uh, what, do you, what do you call it, conventional or mainstream religion. And it's always something where children can accept it. In other words, it will not offend the children directly is what the other thing you're going to uh, see. Um, what they also use, uh, the negative aspect of forming a society in a demonological uh, uh, substrate is that you uh, want to use children as reasoning. Do it for the children, right? That helps the children. You want to learn this as a child, so on and so forth. That's another thing that you will see there. Well, since we're on the topic of the KJV, we'll go back a bit to some older stuff after that. But the KJV is obviously a pivotal piece of literature that's shaped world history and has, at the very least, you can say it's provided some kind of bridge for the layman to access something about the scriptures, whether it's true or not. But these misgivings that you express, and you've pointed out some of the translation issues before, you don't really give it much more credit beyond, say, the literary contribution uh, but what are some of the more blatant misgivings that you have with the, with the KGB? It's, it's a political tool, just like anything else. The misgiving of it is the names. It's blatant. It's a blatant uh, – I tell people in short, have you ever heard of the Satanic Bible? And they're like, yeah, I heard it. That's that's what you got. But the issues that it puts forth in obscuring the, the true meaning of the text, you feel like that's mostly on the name side? 
the name, yeah, and the categorically, in other words, the imposition of the way the books are uh, presented, yeah, uh, and mostly on the name because once you remove the identifiers, it could be anyone. What is in a name would be the question. Uh, here to give you an example on on the ridiculousness of the uh, the, the, the Christianity. I wasn't going to say it, but here it is. Okay, so the sixth book of the Bible is the book of Joshua, which is Yahshua, which also happens to be the Messiah's name. So why don't they call him Joshua? It's already plain and simple, the book of Joshua. It's the same name. And you have uh, these other idiots. They try to defend the J-E-S-U-S incantation. Have you ever heard of uh, Heiser or this guy or the other guy say, well, why, why aren't we using Joshua instead of... Or are they defending, oh, the J-E-S-U-S, -S, that's just the Greek, you see that, see what I mean? The pissant, whatever, people that are on the on YouTube or academically. Very simple. It could destroy any of those characters just by saying, what's the sixth book of the Bible? What's the Messiah's name? Done. Why do you have to use J-E-S-U-S? -S? Because in magic, misdirection both in ledger domain and prestidigitation, which is stage magic, and in occult incantation, misdirection is important. You could destroy the entire Christian meme and all the idiots that have written books and scholars by saying, what's the Christ's name in Hebrew? What's the sixth book of the Bible? Done. Get out of my face. Get out of here. You and your billion trash eaters. But if you got a billion trash eaters, that's a lot of trash to feed. You're never going to run out of sources of what, what's called income, are you? No, I mean, once you had mentioned that um, something along the lines that the printing houses retain the mistakes and the, the errors for purposes of commerce, something like that? Oh, no, I, I gave a metaphor. Like, let's say you and I wrote a book and we sent it to be printed and the printer comes back and says, you have a typo, you know, a typographical error or an error. What do you want me to do? Oh, go ahead and print it, of course. No, correct it. But you've got thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of critical errors in the King James. Repeat it over and over. It's this clear agenda. It's the bell curve average. If everyone thinks it's good, it must be good. If these people believe, I always say, well, this is what people believe. It doesn't matter. I give the, um, you know, Star Trek, you're cruising along the galaxy and you're given an area book before you're given down, you know, it's a military term. Before you're sent into a foreign place, the area book tells you the customs of the people and the laws because you don't want to go down there and offend them, right? And uh, on this planet, the biggest industry is Kevlar underwear. The reason why is because it's in their custom to place a thumbtack on the seat before they sit. So hence the biggest industry being Kevlar underwear because it tends to deflect the sharp penetration. So if you went there and said, just stop putting thumbtacks on the seats and you don't need the Kevlar underwear anymore, which is very expensive, by the way. The people who make the Kevlar underwear will come after you because they're only, in, only into it for the money. And they're going to make you look bad to the people 
they'll never even though it's blatantly obvious stop putting the thumbtacks on the chairs the people will not see it do you see the point you have these low functioning humans and they're told they have to work which actually scripture says you do because it says you're low functioning <laughs> basically you're just a gardener uh and if you don't plant and whatever do husbandry you're going to starve this comes from up high so you can't escape that well other people can some people can but and many do with various uh, social uh, things that have been put in place so uh you you do whatever low functioning occupation or vocation you do but because you're human you know about uh, you want to know about other things like maybe you've heard of religion and the gods so you don't have time because you're you have your low functioning vocation whatever you know even a ceo of a company or working on a production floor or a farmer it's low functioning uh in the big scheme of things you want to know about a subject so instead of delving into it that's why i tell people don't do your own research you hear this a lot right because the whole system is set up this joke system uh to accommodate those who say i'm going to do my own research and when you look at your research it it slowly steers you back to the conventional garbage right so you need to uh not do your own research and find those who have been able to sort it out but anyway so you want to learn about astrophysics you go look at the conventional garbage they put out on that right and you believe it because you've got other things to do you got to drive a bus get up and drive a bus in the morning or drill someone's teeth or operate on someone's brain or make some shoes or something something so you want to learn about religion well we've got that covered we got you covered man you want to learn about how electricity works? We got you covered. It's total bullshit, of course, right? Do you see how it works? Because because people have to work and telling someone you have to do your own research on it does not help them. Right? You have to find out those who have sort it's not a research project to learn about religion or the gods or uh, engineering of or astrophysics or how the human body is you've got to find someone who has sorted it all out who could pick out the signal through the noise same thing in agriculture how often do you just have a field and you go out pick it up and bring it to market the sorting that has to be done right so I never tell people go do your own research. I might have in the past somewhat, but I'm like that's not going to help you. Just leave it alone. You need to find a good sorting mechanism or someone who's good at sorting stuff out rationally without agenda. So the garbage that you see put out by the academicians, the academy, universities, which is garbage, uh is the first thing you're going to run into when you say do my own research, right? So there's nothing to do, right? There's so much to do that there's nothing to do. But once you have a a key of a poignant way to really dive in and uh with a high efficiency in the sorting out the bullshit, you can get to the matter of anything and when you are savvy at doing that, you'll see that the, the real truth about things is actually broadcast more clearly than you ever thought it would be. Hmm. Well, I mean, I understand what you're saying. On, on the point of the scriptures, though, or the Bible, to be fair, and well, 
fair or not. I'm just playing devil's advocate a little bit. We do have to acknowledge that efforts have been made in the last few decades to address the translation problems of the English Bible, at least when it comes to the Old Testament, because it's been long known in the Jewish uh, uh, okay, circles. Just, that... Let me just interject again. The sorting, sorting out, not research, but sorting. The machine, the tool to sort it out. For example, let's go back. If you had anything written, that means you were wealthy, right? And then when printing became industrialized, the not-so-wealthy got it. When you had sorting machines like computers years ago, you were really wealthy or specialized. Now anyone has it. Do you see my point? So you go right to the source. You go right to interlinears. Let the computer source it out for you. In other words, you use the tool. Uh, for example, uh, it's embarrassing for the human race to have any of these religions still functioning when they have a computer that could actually – uh, simply break down and sort what the text is, that they allege to subscribe to actually says. It's an embarrassment. Uh, are people getting smart, smarter or dumber with the you know with the technological advancements and in information gathering and sorting? They're getting dumber. So that means that is not a, a secular. It's not a uh, material problem. It's a spiritual problem. No, I, I would say the the point that you're trying to make that I'm guessing yet, has not been fully resolved until the advent of sorting machines, computers. Because now you can access an interlinear in real time anywhere and avoid the garbage. But do people do that? No. I mean, as a whole. I mean, a million Christians, maybe two will do it. You know, there's not, but if, uh, and then, but here's, you can't call them Christians because once they start research, you know, researching and sorting, they, there's no way you would call yourself a Christian. You would have to be mentally deranged or wanting to go, you know, you have you have uh, a financial need that you can um, – all these people, these uh, academics, whatever, uh, leaders in that, in that Christian movement in the past 100 years have been there for the money. All of them. There's no exception. Or to make a living, to, right? They come out and say that. This is how I – you know, this is what I do. Uh, no, I've seen that. And no, I'm not going to speak for the group as a whole or anything, but as far as just certain works, whether it's the Koran Jerusalem Bible, the Concordant Version by Adolf Ernest Knock, or, you know, the Scriptures 1999, we've seen these efforts being made by in certain institutions that are not well known or certain people. I think one of the more popular ones of late is the, the Hebrew Bible by Robert Alter, where he tries to do a more faithful translation. You know, what do you say about groups or people like that who have applied some kind of methodology to try to compile more faithful versions or translations? Well, that's the controlled opposition. It's kind of like there's been more than one politician or a government person in the U.S. that says, you know, when, when there's an issue brought up, a law issue, they say, well, the Constitution, that will not affect our form of government. What? It's just like the people in the churches, like the Bible will not, you know, people are in the Bible, that's not going to affect us very much. In other words, they have nothing to do, they're telling you they have nothing to do with it. So whenever there is a, uh, uh, let's say, um, an appearance of interest in, you know, formative works or references and all that, they create an opposition right away to absorb those people and then make them go away. Because the whole thing is rotten to the core. Because people are rotten to the core. Forget about the religious aspect. Look at the medical industry. I want to take up. Is there anything I could take for this? Have you heard that before? Is there anything I could take for this? Right? They don't know how the body works. People still call me. I went to the doctor. Okay. 
What's the first thing he did? Well, he told me, I said, no, no, no. First thing he did, he did he put a cuff on your arm, inflate it, and tell you to check your uh, some kind of blood, what he thinks is blood pressure. And he says, yeah, he did. I see he's a quack. He's a quack. He's a goon. He doesn't know anything about the human body. Anyone who does that is an idiot. Well, Greek, everyone does that. Well, thank you. All the doctors do that. Well, thank you. Actually, not all of them do, but yeah. Next subject, right, is what I tell them. In other words, very easy. The the, the current joke that we're living in, it, yeah, you could die in this joke, of course. And it doesn't matter if you do because you're living too short to make your life meaningful. Life is the, you know, the human uh, lifespan is too short to be meaningful anyway. That's why people always, uh, every time say, what's the meaning of life? I want to find more me. I want to find myself, right? How many times you hear that, right? Um, so these religions, uh, which in ancient times were regarded as the, the main causality, you know, meaning the gods, for anything and everything in our existence has now become part of that joke. Here's the thing. You you want to know what real existence is about? Sorry, Jack. You're not going to live long enough to figure that out. Until you see humans living three, four, five, seven, eight hundred years old, you're a joke. You're taking part of a joke. And I don't see the wisdom in it yet, but I, hopefully I will later. So in the meantime, as an under-functioning, uh, low-functioning human, and that's the audience also, myself and you also, we're, we're, we're built, we're, we're, it's built into us to be that way, uh, to, to strive for better things and understanding and to see what kind of a mess this is, a mess that's been regarded as being just fine and dandy is, um, is something to consider and know, but not to delve on too much. Here's the thing. A lot of people that hear Greek speak on any subject have a problem with it, not because there's a problem with it. It's because now that it doesn't leave them much to do. There's many people that say, well, I've heard you speak on this for a few hours, and I went and did research for, and I found everything that you said is true. But it said, so how long did it take for you to find that stuff on your own? It took me like six months to a year. Said, so how long was the Sonic event that you heard? That was about two hours. Okay, so I basically took a year's worth of work and reduced it down to two hours or less, and you actually confirmed and validated everything that's been said. And it was very difficult to find most of it. I mean, the majority of it is easy, but what's you know where to look? But without the this the direction and the hints on how to sift it out, you're, you're going to get lost. You won't find any of it because of the misdirection, right? So I found meaning. Here's a personal thing. I have found meaning uh, in the life that I'm living here on the ability to do that, to get right to the point. So what I suggest to people is find up, find as much Greek speak as you could possibly get your hands on and listen to it. It's some of it's hard, a hard listen, but once you get used to it, um, it's going to save you a lot of time. So Christianity thing is very easy. Their main character, uh, the falsification of the identity through iconography, even the name can be easily uh, just destroyed by asking them uh, what their, the name is in Hebrew and what the sixth book of the Bible is and why don't they use that. There is something very, very fishy going on with these people and this whole organization, which happens to be ruling the world. In other words, being the, the uh, foremost convention in terms of religiosity. It doesn't say much for humans, does it? No, it's quite damning. damning. It's very damning. Yeah, everything is. They don't even know how their body works. They don't know anything. 
at well, all. But they're still functioning, which is a testament to the robustness of the human existence itself. Very robust creatures. Think roaches. They tell you, oh, roaches can take a thousand times more radiation than a human. That makes them, you know, it's how they make you focus on that. But no one says how robust the humans are. Pretty much everything in their lives has been false and, and damning and damaging to them. And they're still here. Forget about the roaches. It's the humans that are the most uh, robust creatures. You know, humans have roach spray. Do you see roaches have human spray? No. Well, in conclusion, I'd like us to wrap up by looking at one of the more noticeable Christian doctrinal fallacies. Because the primary symbol around which Christianity revolves is obviously the cross. And it's used everywhere. And if you ask people what it represents, they mostly give vacuous, non-defining answers. Some will say it represents the Christ. Others will say it represents his death. Others will say resurrection. But... They're mostly emotional um, professions that people make. Can we unpack uh, just why the notion of the cross has no place in the biblical narrative and why it's emerged as strongly as it did? You know, when you said we we're going to be doing a talk about Christianity, you know, I find it to be very distasteful personally. Even not not that what we're doing is distasteful. I'm sure it's, someone's going to get something out of it, and it needs to be spoken of in this light. And I have been speaking on it much. Um, Low-functioning humans need something very, very simple to associate with, right? So there you go. It's not biblical. Uh, when you are getting that out of the New Testament, which is where most people get it, first of all, it's mistranslated. The word, the Greek word is stavros, or in Aramaic, I forgot the name, it means a stake, right? Uh, Stavros can mean both ways. Uh, it does mean something crossed in Greek, but it, not a crucifix. It's very simple that, uh, paraphrasing here, Pontius Pilate returns him back to Judean authorities. He states uh, several places, use your law, you have a law, and they do. They don't use Roman crucifixion. Uh, a lot of people uh, say to me, Greek, uh, it says there that you should not deny that the Jesus was crucified. I'm like, oh boy, where do you start with that? Because it's just like uh, five out of the eight words that you said are totally false anyway. So you believe whatever you want to believe about me. You see? So the, we, we have this really ridiculous stuff. And I think uh, I've said it many times. The Christ was not, uh, in short, I'll just reiterate, he was nailed to an almond tree because the way they, uh, for st uh, proper stoning, which was uh, something to defame the character also. Anything that had to do anything to do with him was accursed. And everything was burned after that. And it was an almond tree with uh, three men on one almond tree. He was in the front, the Christ, bearing all the blows from the stones. And the other two had to have their uh, femoral artery cut in order to die, because you don't die with a broken leg. Sorry. That's the King James ridiculousness. But... That whole notion was just anything, just say anything to cover up what uh, what happened. And it took 400 years to really figure that out, right? Yes, that's right. Um, I believe that the Roman crucifixion tendency didn't really become what it became known for until the 300s or so. Um, right. So. Right. And it was uh, just just keep morphing the story into, you know, just tell these because, they, you know, it's like, what do you do for a living? If you know anyone, uh, when a common person, I've seen this more than once, meets someone of authority and has questions for them, they, the person in authority or the administrative authority, even though they're just peons, they shove all their questions. and say, what do you do for a living? You ever notice that? 
I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Like whether it's in an official setting or uh, unofficial setting, if a common person is asking tough questions to a politician or a priest or someone you know that's considered an authority, they ignore the question and say, what do you do for a living? In other words, when they ask you that, it's like, you're just a slave. You're just a stupid shoemaker, bus driver, doctor, whatever. This is out of your, you know what I mean? That's what they're saying. So if someone asks you what you do for a living when you pose a hard question, they're basically telling you, know your place and stay there. So if you're going to uh, keep that as the ideology that your society runs on, you have to give the people real simple symbols, real simple terms, and real simple beliefs. That's why you have a cross and all that. King James, of course, kind of sealed it and seared it in people's minds. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I've always wondered what one can infer about the cross by looking at how it's used and what it's attached to rather than just believing the, the sanctity of it because the Roman crucifixion was a death sentence for criminals. The Christians themselves could be seen as walking dead because they're in constant violation of what the Creator wants and we know what happens to those people in the end. Um, they have the second death. Um, and then the crosses seen everywhere in, in churches, you know, that could be seen as a sign of death because of the people that are in there. And even in a statistical sense, cemeteries have more crosses than churches do. And that's all for yeah. dead people. So I'm almost wondering if that cross is literally sure. a death sign for something. A morbid, it is. I would say, well, we can infer that it is. It's not defined as such. But yeah, you can say that. Um, I think... Uh, well, the Star of David is a Druid symbol, right? The Megan, Mogan David, they call it. It's a Druid symbol. It goes back actually even before that to summon uh, – when you, before before you summon a, a demon, you use that symbol to pretty much clear the area of other, other, other beings so this demon can come in. That's the Star of David. Or they call it the Star of David. So how did they come up with that? You know, what is that up? You know, people don't really see – the Star of David is that, right? But do, just like people don't see that, right? It's just been, it's what you associate it with in your current culture. It's just god-awful all around. I mean, look, no matter what we've ever talked about, these people running around this planet don't even know how their body works. They think they're pressurized filter bags. They don't know how to keep time. They don't know anything about anything. And they're still here functioning. Well, you know. More, in other words, more people are being born than are dying usually, and they're continuing. What kind of a thing is that? That's a cosmic anomaly, you know? Well, it is how things will persist for the next uh, couple of decades at least, and uh, we'll see how it goes. But I think these talks help. I, for... I'm still sticking with less than a, about a decade now. It doesn't mean that no everyone – I mean nine out of ten people will not be here and it will take 40 years to seven years for the dust to settle. I'm still sticking with that. And if you remember any other Greek speak that I've done around, uh, even a few years ago, I started emphasizing that all these changes are going to be so fast and so sudden and so accepted that if you, if you know about it, it will seem like everyone's going insane and going along with it. Yes, I do remember that. That's my story, and I'm sticking with it. <laughs> no, that's totally fine. Well, I think that's a good note on uh, which to end. This is probably one of the longer streams we've done, um, but we covered a lot of ground, and I think it um, probably on the next one we'll take a look at Islam or one of the other mainstream religions, so we'll probably use some of this material as well. Well, you could also preface Islam was the purpose of Islam that 
whether you want to consider Christianity, Judaism, and Islam to be the quote-unquote uh, the same God as Abraham, uh, if you were to call anything that Abraham was about uh, defended, it would be Islam that does it the most in 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 the way people use it, right? Uh, overtly, you know, the the typical follower uh, would be closest to that if you call it an quote-unquote Abrahamic religion, even though if you study Abraham, there was no religion that formed from that. As a matter of fact, the Abraham didn't have to do anything. That was one of the rare times in Scripture where the Creator actually said, you know, Yahweh said he's going to do everything at that point. Everywhere else there was a, was a two-way street. So so I would suggest that, um, uh, are you Greek, are you saying that Islam is more pious? Whatever? No. Because it's a tool to prevent the expansion of uh, Christianity, and it did do that, and it still does it, thankfully. But it, it, thankfully, nothing matters at this point because the absurdity of its followers also, uh, their followers have a, a, have been overcome by more absurdities than. I mean, I wouldn't say that they are overcome by more absurdities, but just as much absurdity as any other human. Yes. So. But that's that would be that would be the main purpose of Islam as a functioning religion is to stop the progression uh, of Christianity, which is logical. Otherwise, you'd have most of the world in complete lawlessness. Well, yeah, we'll dig into that a bit more next next time as far as the historicity of it and how that played out and perhaps where they some of them were left um, as far as influences that crept in to, to change that later on. Um, thank you, Greek, for this time. You're welcome. Uh, we've done a good job uh, putting things forth. And um, thank you to the audience for tuning in. Um, it's been a lengthy listen, but um, we hope you uh, got something out of it. And uh, we will see you on the next stream. Bye.